Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Is This Really Better Than Nothing Would Be? I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined in the studio with my co-host, Kelly. Hi, everyone. We don't have any sponsors at the moment, but if any of our listeners have a business or sell a product, drop us a line at is this really better than nothing would be at gmail.com and we would love to give you a shout out and tell people what you're up to. So let's get down to business. You know, we live in an era where the public discourse is being guided by just an onslaught of media and news and opinion. And in some cases, we've got literal fake news being propagated through our media diets. And then we've got angry old men with microphones who have gained so much power over our political discourse that they're even gotten to the point where they're influencing important policy decisions. So this podcast is our way of casting our rocks into the water, so to speak. You know, as we go on, we hope to cover a wide range of topics from economics, the media, current events, the future of our cities, and politics, and of course, current events. But we don't want to just be another angry voice, either from the left or the right. We just want to look at things as we see them and have the conversations. We all want to see improvements in our society, and sometimes we just need to step back and ask some uncomfortable questions. Which gets us to the title of our show. Is this really better than nothing would be? Depending on how you got to this show today, you might be wondering why there's a cake portrait of the great curmudgeon Andy Rooney glaring at you. Andy was a scathing critic of things ranging from products that displease him to technology that confounded him. Uh, Kelly's got a few of his greatest hits for you. I don't know if these are the greatest hits, but here we go. I wish people who sell things would stop trying to guess how many of something we want to buy. I want to buy things one at a time. I understand shipping. You have to expect to pay for the stamps or for the freight company. But what's this handling they always have? How much does handling cost anyway? I don't want a lot of people handling something I'm going to buy before I get it. How much would it cost if you didn't handle it before you sent it to me? Here's another. Computers make it easier to do a lot of things, but most of the things they make it easier to do don't need to be done. And then lastly, I mean, the notion that we must love everything in this country or get out and go someplace else is ridiculous. I mean, the best thing a patriotic American can do is to look and be critical and find out what's wrong and try to make it better. That's what a patriotic American does. Man, isn't that right? I think that's what... That's a lot of what we're going to be doing over this show is just, <laughs> you know, being critical of just the country around us. And the most important Andy Rooney quote, and if you've not yet been to our website and watched the clip, you'll see it there. You'll see the video of him complaining about the art around him. But it's Andy in all of his glory trying to figure out why the hell the city landscapes have been plastered with questionable art. And he asks the question, is this really better than nothing would be? To us, maybe this is a question we should ask more often about more things. As humans, you know, we're, we're prone to dive headfirst in the hype and accept the status quo for what it is. And sometimes I think we just don't take the time to think. So tonight, in our first episode, you know, we're going to talk about politics, of course. We'll talk about the government shutdown, the wall, our foreign policy. But... Before we get into any of that, today, December 23rd, and you're probably listening on December 24th, and if so, 
you know, Merry Christmas Eve to you. But right now, it's December 23rd. It's a very special day. That's right, it's Festivus. And quite frankly, I've got a lot of complaints, and you people are going to hear about them. Kelly's been keeping a running list of the things that I complain about throughout the day, you know, over the course of the year. And uh, she says she's been keeping a list. Uh, so she's going to read off a few of them. Some of these are un unexpected to me. So they're just going to get me riled up again, and I'm going to get heated again all over just thinking about some of these topics. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's go for it. All right, the first one on my list, people who drive cars that look like cop cars. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so this is not a unique complaint of my own. People have been complaining about this for, for years, and I think that's what makes it so much of a complaint is that it's 2018, and people have had so long to figure this the hell out. Okay, you know, what is the thought process of, you know, you're out picking out a vehicle, and you decide that you're going to buy the white SUV that looks just like the local police car in your town. It's You've not got... like the cops are going to confuse you for one of them. They know better. Right. It, it, it only works. Choosing a car that looks like a cop car only works to make you more frustrated. Because you... everyone's going to be driving slowly around you. Yes. The speed limit's 40. I'll typically do 50 and a 40. You know, maybe, depending on the road, maybe I'll do a little bit more. But if you are driving a car that looks like a freaking cop car, I'm doing 40. I'm not, I'm not speeding up. It's only going to frustrate you for your poor choice in car. Okay? And, and, and here's the thing. is there, There's such a limited option of cars that you can choose that look like a cop car. Right? Just... It's like you're going out of your way to pick that. Right. And it used to be just the the Crown Vicks with and then some people would get them at auction, you know, with the uh the light on the side of it and you know, that's that's a thing in and of itself. But now it's it's a lot of like getting these damn these Ford SUVs that you know, they're not even like the best in their class, right? These aren't even the best vehicle to choose at that price point. They don't offer the best qualities. And then, even when you choose it, they always seem to choose a white one. Yeah, it's so easy not to choose the white one. You could easily get a black one. Get a black one that's completely different than the freaking cop ones. Alright, okay, I think we've exhausted that one. Ah, I'm, I'm pissed off about it. I'm pissed <laughs> off about it. Because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go driving tomorrow... And, you know, I'm going to look in my rearview mirror and I'm going to see the grill of, you know, that whatever freaking Explorer or what it is that they keep all right, driving. All right, all right, all right, cool it. All right. <laughs> Let me hit you with Bumblebee Movie. Oh, my God. Bumblebee Movie. Oh, man. To me, this is the McDonald'sification of America. <laughs> it's starting to just spill over in the, into every part. And when I say the McDonald'sification of America, you know, you remember a few years back when there was all of the, this news about how McNuggets were made from pink slime. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, no one wanted to eat the pink slime, obviously, but people were still eating McNuggets. It's because, you know, if you fry something up and you serve it with some barbecue sauce, how do you, how do you say no to this, right? Well, 
to me, the, the superhero movies have just become just this mass-produced, like, formulaic. It's so easy to predict that we're going to just have all of these explosions and all of the, these just characters that are from 30 years ago. No one needs to put any more imagination into it. Let's just fry it up. Let's get some pink slime, pump it up, fry it up, serve it with some barbecue sauce, and sell it by the 20-pack. And I think we've just reached critical mass in this crap. Critical mass in superhero movies, comic book movies, all of this. Bumblebee movie, when I saw that, to me... You were outraged. I, I mean, I was outraged, but it, it's like... Let's we, make it clear, you have not seen the movie. I don't even know if it's come out. Oh, right? no, no, no. I've not, I've, not seen Bumble, I've not seen Bumblebee movie. I have no <laughs> desire to see Bumblebee movie. And, and I know this is the topic. Like, this is a topic that... It just it equally offends people on, you know, either end of the political spectrum. No matter who you are, if you like superhero or comic book movies, I've I've pissed you off, right? I've pissed right. you off at this point. And you know, if if you're on Facebook, just react with the angry reaction at this point, <laughs> just so I know you've made it this far. Because, I, I mean, it's it seems to be a touchy subject. I, I've noticed. I'm um, not sure why. Yeah, I'm not sure why either. But, you know, it, to me, it's like one of those things where people talk about, oh, we're wasting money on this when we could be saving starving kids in Africa, right? But I think of it as like the movie equivalent of that, where we're wasting money on creating more superhero comic book movies. Pink slime. Yeah, this, we're just making more pink slime when, I mean... Why don't we have movies about, like, the Woodland-era Indians or something? Why is there not something just way more creative, a story that's not been told yet? Why is that not dominating the box office? It's it's just infuriating to me. I'm just so tired of it. Right, we're scraping topic. the bottle in the barrel. That's next what we're doing. Topic. All right. Are you ready for it? Let's do it. The Mooch. The Mooch. Oh, man, <laughs> The Mooch. It's not that I hate The Mooch, right? I actually don't mind the mooch. Yeah, it's not that I've got anything against the mooch. It's just that the guy is famous for how little time he spent in the White House, yet he's trotted out on a lot of, you know, talk shows and uh, just CNN has him on. They've e CNN even has a great value mooch. I'm not even lying. They've got this guy who just looks like the mooch, and I, I, when I see him on there, I just think he's the mooch, but... But he's not. But he's not. It, they, they've clearly got a cast now. They've got a great value mooch that they plot out on there. But I don't understand why we assume that the mooch has some great wisdom or insight about what the hell is going on in the White House and why his opinion on the inner workings of the Trump regime, you know, why why do we even value it Why is point? it relevant when he was there for, what, three days? Yeah, I mean, he's his own unit of measurement at this point. <laughs> The people measure things in mooches. <laughs> you know, like, how, how have we gotten to the point where we're valuing his opinion? And, I, I, and you know, the mooch, the mooch is, is one thing, but I've sort of started to feel that way about a lot of the hosts that are, you know, CNN, Fox News, just anywhere where people are watching cable television. I know it's awful, but... You're lying if you don't tune in from time to time. I don't believe you if you don't tune in from time to time or see a clip on Facebook or, you know, watch CNN or Fox News. And you tune in to see 
these people who have been brought in for just their sheer lack of awareness and then they're trotted out in front of the panel or whatever and made to look stupid. And so I'm just I'm just done with that. I'm just done with the moochification of the panels. <laughs> okay. Next up is customer service and corporate incompetence. Oh man. So Kelly and I were both unfortunate victims of a pretty pervasive crime that seems to be happening a lot, especially around holiday season. And uh, we had, I guess, I guess the correct term is that we've had our identity stolen. That's right. Um, well, we recognized it, or I caught it almost immediately. I, I saw the charge pop up on my bank statement, and uh, I saw this guy... I mean, I, I I say I saw him, but I I almost really did see this. Like, it's, it's as close to as possible of watching a closed-circuit camera of this guy buying Fetty Wap-flavored wrap snacks at a Shell station in Brooklyn. Because like, I saw that, that happening. What is What are wrap snacks? No, what you just said. The flavor. I think Fetty Wap is sour cream. Oh, okay. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I think Fetty Wap is sour cream. <laughs> You know, I'll have to go check on that. Little Boosie is Louisiana Heat. Uh, yeah, they mix. They've they've got some crazy favors, but I think Fetty Wap is sour cream. Okay. So this guy was spending several hundred dollars on cases of wrap snacks at a shell station in Brooklyn. I caught it, and uh, you know, I caught it, and it was about eight p.m. our time. So I guess 9 p.m. in Brooklyn. Not that that really matters. And uh, I call, or I tried to call my bank to let them know that th- this was happening. A bank that will not be named. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them slide for now. For now, I'm I'm still just so enraged at them that I I can't believe I'm letting them slide without name dropping them. Because I really feel like anyone who banks with them. You know, I'm just going to say it. It's it's Regions Bank. It's Regions Bank. Let's just let that be known. Regions Bank. And what was so awful about this is, I, I mean, I knew that fraud was happening at the time. I knew I had not been to a shell station in Brooklyn spending several hundred dollars. And so you go to the Regions Bank guidance on something like this, and, they, they, you know, they pretend to take it very seriously, right? You go to their webpage, and it's like, what to do if you suspect fraud is happening or you see a fraudulent transaction? And their guidance, it's, it's basically like in all caps. It says, please call us as soon as you see fraudulent activity. So I tried. I tried, right? No human being could answer my call because it was outside of business hours. Now, you know... That, that seems to be acceptable for a bank if you think about it, right? Like banking hours, of course, no one's going to be able to answer. But as I mentioned, it happened to Kelly at the same time it was happening to me. And she banks with a different bank who, you know, we could name drop them maybe if we wanted. And they took care of it immediately. They took care of it immediately. She got a text from them and they, her money was back into her account. So anyway, so th- this isn't supposed to be about how to protect yourself from fraud, but what's really frustrating about this 
is that, you know, so the next day I have to wake up early, like as, as soon as I can get a phone in my hands and try to get in touch with regions. And I guess it's happened to a lot of people because it took me 20 minutes to get a hold of someone. Um, and it, it was just such a powerless experience, right? The, the lady was completely unhelpful, the customer service lady, and she continuously gave me boilerplate responses like, oh, we're so sorry this happened to you, or, you know, it's just our policy to not be able to do anything about pending transactions, because at this point, I'm just pissed off that, you know, I have to lose the money, you know, the, I have to watch the pending transaction go through, I have to watch several hundred dollars be spent on Fetty Wap wrap snacks, and there's nothing I could do about it. Literally, her response was, you just have to lose the money and call us back tomorrow and fill out an affidavit, basically. And, and what's frustrating about it is that I got to witness another institution, presumably a competitor of Regions, right? I mean, Bank of America is substantially a larger institution than Regions is. So, you know... That's that's why their capabilities presumably are a little bit more, but I got to witness a competitor of Regions handle the exact same situation far better, and I, I brought that up to her, and, and you know she she just didn't care, she didn't really care in the least, and her response was you know we we can only do what we can do, we don't we don't know what other financial institutions do, so my complaint you know, boiling it all down to, to corporate incompetence is that it's so frustrating. It, it would be almost, it, it's so, it would be so difficult for me to change banks, right? Regions has me where they want me. I, I can't just pull out all of my money, stop my auto bills, re-sign up all of my auto bills, you know, all of this that would be involved in changing banks. Regions knows this, and because of that, they're just really complacent. Yeah, they're just really complacent. And I I mean I feel like me telling them that a competitor of theirs can do something that they can't. And I mean I spelled it out for them just like, "Hey, this is a failure of IT. You're not using predictive predictive analytics that another bank's using. I got no alert. No one called me. I sent a message, didn't get a response back for 48 hours." On and on and on. No answer. No no like specific recognition of my complaint and I'm sure they deal with complaints all the time that's what they do however you know this is this is a large corporation and I just did not feel like the complaint was ever going to be elevated of to someone not. who could look into these specific complaints right and attempt to improve the process and so I mean it's just it's just frustrating it's just frustrating to think that we are powerless to, to change the way that some of these really important companies that we deal with every day can't do anything. You know, the, the people that we interact with as the face of their companies don't have the ability to elevate suggestions or don't have the capacity to care to elevate suggestions to the people who can do something about it. Because certainly... Regions, you know, John Turner, CEO of Regions, presumably he would care that his company is slacking, basically. Okay, let's move on to a more lighthearted topic. Potholes. 
Oh, potholes. Yeah, everyone hates potholes, right? And, uh, you know, it's 2018, and I just feel like we're not, we're not, we're not attacking potholes like we should be, right? I, I, I've seen that Domino's has taken initiative, and, and they're repairing potholes, you know, private corporations out there, because they, they give a shit about their pizza. Well, why, why is there not some citywide agency that just sends out the pothole crew, right? It should just be this gang of guys, put them in the back of a pickup truck, teach them how to fill potholes, drive around the city all day, you know, have some dude smoking a cigar, driving the truck. He's like, let's get it, boys. You know, every time he sees a pothole, he's hot to action. It, it just doesn't seem like it's too much to ask. Right? We don't need to deliberate on how to fill potholes. We know everyone doesn't like them. You know, let's just y pull out an app, create some app. Everyone just decides where the potholes are, you know, point it out on Google Maps, send it in. The city sends the pothole crew out. I, I bet I could find five guys, you know, just five dudes who live around me, and I could pay them. A case of beer. I mean, here's the caveat, right? We need to take some instruction on to how to actually fill potholes. But that doesn't seem like it'd be that hard. You know, I, I don't know shit, but asphalt can't be that hard to work with, right? And so I just get these five dudes. We all just get a case of beer together. And we just celebrate filling our local potholes. Why, why don't we fun. just have the pothole crew? It does sound fun. Let's get them, boys. Yeah, let's let's get them, boys. It, it would be a rallying cry. Let's get it. Let's 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 get this damn pothole. And then you know we just spend Sunday afternoons driving around. <laughs> you, we we bring some cones and some highlighter vests with us. It honestly, you know, people are are when they drive, they're angry and it's dangerous to be on side of the road. But if we had some labeled truck that just flashed and said. The city pothole crew. People would honk at us. They'd give us high fives, you know, thumbs up. They'd, they'd probably give us more beer, and they would just love the work that we do. And someone needs to take this up. Domino's has, has started a movement. I'm all for the pothole crew. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um, GM discontinuing the vault. Oh, so this is a grievance that, you know, it's not like an angry grievance. It really is just like a sad slow moving like i feel like a a funeral needs to be held here because to me this is just a multi-year long battle with the inevitable gm never gave the vault its its due diligence i feel like there was no proper marketing and and just just so we're clear here i just want to come out and say i own a vault and i think it's one of the greatest driving machines ever made. It's such a smooth vehicle. I've put on between the two different ones that I had, um, probably close to 160,000 miles between the two of them over a period of time. And I've just had no issues with them. The only thing that I've ever had to do was change tires. I mean, you can go literally years without changing the oil even. And uh, if you just have a standard outlet, you just plug your car in and you're good to drive for 30 miles the next morning. And I feel like every American commuter would just love something like that. I get asked about the Volt all the time, and it, it piques a lot of people's interest. And the fact that people have to ask so many questions about the Volt, it's, uh, 
it's pretty indicative of how poorly GM marketed this damn thing. And I think the story of the vault, just going back to the very beginning of its inception, it, it it's almost seems like GM begrudgingly made the thing to begin with. I, you know, I'd have to brush up and read in a little bit more on how it came to be, but the provision for GM to make the the vault and its corresponding Cadillac ELR platform um, was sort of like a tie-in to the bailout of the auto industry and at the time the Obama administration basically said that you know as a caveat of us bailing you the hell out we want you to start gearing towards fuel efficiency you know just getting ready for electric vehicles that sort of thing and to me man the vault it was the perfect bridge you know it, it, so for anyone unfamiliar with the vault I guess I've gone on long enough without explaining it and I, I would assume at this point everyone knows what the Volt is but if not it's an extended range hybrid so plug-in hybrid so what that means is you can plug it in and charge it and get 30 miles of pure electric driving or you can fill it up with uh, and I guess this is the drawback is you have to fill it up with premium gas um, I've not tried to fill mine up with not premium gas, but I've heard people say that you don't have to. The point being is that it's it's the ultimate commuter vehicle. I mean, if you draw, if you work less than 15 miles away, 20 miles away from your home, you can drive to and from work without ever using a single drop of gas, and it's the, the acceleration is so smooth. I mean, it's a, a very comfortably riding car and uh, the thing that really bothered me to see that GM announced this is I think this started this this was just a badly rolled out platform well not badly rolled out but just badly executed you know concept in that in 2015 they completely changed the, the body styling, the exterior and the interior of the Volt. And previous years had this really aggressive, the one that I've got, 2013, 2011, and 2012, and the 2014, they've all got this really aggressive front grille. It's got some nice angles to it. It's a really nice-looking vehicle. Then, and they, they, they admitted this as they were doing this in 2015, they just wanted the car to be perceived as basically just another Acura. You know, they just wanted it to blend in with the Acuras, the Hyundais on the road. And it's awful. It's just such an awful thing. And it, it, it really pains me to see that they didn't believe in making the Volt as exciting as it should have been. And, you know, its sister vehicle, the Cadillac ELR, I mean, if I were someone right now looking to be a baller on a budget, I would go find a used Cadillac ELR. It's such a cool-looking vehicle. It's the same features as the Vault plug-in extended range. And then so this year, GM decides they're going to discontinue those platforms. And, you know, they, I'm sure there's lots of economic reasons for it. Um, they're laying off a bunch of workers in the plants that made those vehicles. And... You know, the sales numbers were probably not there for the Volt and the ELR, but it's just it's a long, tortured grievance 
to see the the vault just not get the respect I feel it deserved. It was an amazing car. Well, Patrick, that was a beautiful love love letter to the Chevy Volt. Let's move on to our last grievance. Are you ready for this? Oh, man. What do we have? What do we have? Marsha Blackburn. Who? 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 Okay, so I I think it's time we take a little break, actually, before we dive into that. Because we are... Why is that? We are about to start talking politics. Oh. We are about to start talking politics. So, you know, I know it's the holiday season. Um, maybe you don't want to think about politics while you're around your family. If you, if you're around your family, I don't know. I don't know what people are doing right now. But here's your here. We'll give you a fair warning that we're gonna dive into some political analysis. It's about to get even more heated. Yeah, it? I guess it's gonna get heated. So. Right after this break, we'll be back. Bye. We're all living in America, America. It's wonderful. We're all living in America, America, America. We're all Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, so this is semi-live radio. Not <laughs> Semi-live really. <laughs> semi podcast. So you might be wondering why the audio sounds a little bit different. You know, this is a, a work in progress for sure. And we are going to learn the controls of this thing eventually, right? We're going to eventually get a nice quality production coming out of here. Hopefully have some guests and just sort of expand our capabilities and as time goes on. Yeah, as time goes on. That's that's the ambition. But anyway, before we took a break, you know, we gave the warning that we were going to start talking with some politics. And um, so Kelly mentioned Marsha Blackburn. Because we are from Tennessee. Yeah, in case you're wondering why we care about Marsha Blackburn and you're listening to this and you're not from Tennessee. So, uh, Kelly, would you give a recap of just kind of what happened with, you know, our, our election? Who, who are our candidates and... Well, it was Marsha Blackburn and um, the former governor, Phil Bredesen. And he was a very worthy candidate, extremely qualified. We supported him. We canvassed for him. He was very moderate, which we consider ourselves uh, moderate Democrats as well. And he was just a very fair-minded, very qualified man. And he'd already done great things for the state. Yeah, I mean... You just square up the two candidates side by side, and it would—it seemed like it should have just been a no-brainer right, as, no <laughs> as to who the saner candidate was at the very least. But you know, we're not here to rehash the election, I guess, and we're also not here to—you know—presumably, here's here's the thing about America, right? You know, you send a senator. You know, the Senate should be the the moderating force of Congress, if you think about it, right? It should be the more deliberative body. So, you know, we just hope that regardless of party, regardless of whoever you send to represent your state to Congress, that a senator will be someone who can act with a level head, <laughs> you know, just come with some sort of sanity. Because in the House, you know, that's a place where you can spout crazier ideas and you've got to get a lot of people to go along with you in the house so 
But the Senate is, is a certain level of prestige. It's yeah, they're, not. there presumably should be a certain level of prestige. And uh, Marsha Blackburn was a member of the House for some number of years, 16 years or so, perhaps even longer. Um, and uh, she was just known as a firebrand and just someone who was just hyper-partisan. And that was, that was her campaign, you know? Her campaign is basically she tied herself at the hip to anything that Donald Trump says is is worth basically just taking at face value, which to me, I can't think of any more dangerous of a campaign to run for on the Senate. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, let's, just, let's just state it here, all right? There's no guarantee, regardless of where what you think of Donald Trump, it, it you have to admit that the guy's in somewhat peril, right? There's no guarantee that his policy, his candidacy, is something that will last. I mean, it's just just plainly looking at it. And also, in our really divisive times, we need people in office who are going to practice compromise, and that's what Phil Bredesen was all about. He was all about. Um, going across the aisle. And then we have Marsha Blackburn, who just reiterates everything that Trump says without even putting any extra thought into it. Right. I mean, and, and this is going to tie into sort of just what's going on now. So, you know, it's December 23rd, and our government is shut down. And one of the reasons, or perhaps the reason, that the government is shut down is just... You know, we're fighting over a border wall. And I, I it, it's bizarre. It's, it's a bizarre thing for me to really wrap my head around. I mean, you know, I, I've always been told that when you have bad news or just something negative to say to someone, you should wrap it in a compliment sandwich, right? And uh, I don't know if I can make a compliment sandwich out of the topic of the border wall. But I can maybe make like a pizza. So here's a here's my my compliment crust for just the compliment, you know, just thinking about the border wall. And so we've got a GoFundMe page for the border wall. Sorry by this guy. What's this guy's name, Kelly? What's this guy's name? Do you have it? Um, my computer's frozen. I do not. Okay. Well, so this guy. He's got a GoFundMe page for the border wall. Last I checked, he's got a substantial contribution. Oh, his, his name is Brian Colfage. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Brian Colfage. Um, so <laughs> let, let, let's talk about the background of this guy first and the GoFundMe page, which do you have the numbers right there? Do you, do you know how much it's got? It's just 100 something million? It's close. 11.3 million. Oh, well, not 100, but. 11.3 million that's that's not chump change right there's presumably someone who decided you know he was going to buy his wife a dishwasher and decided that hey honey we're gonna instead donate 300 bucks to the wall and you know that that here's the compliment okay I, I think I think that there's some merit in understanding that if we're gonna do some large undertakings as a society we should all contribute yeah we should all contribute our own skin in the game right. 
and maybe maybe GoFundMe is a sort of a, a good platform to really think about those kinds of things. It shows passion. Yeah, it shows initiative. It shows passion. I mean, we're going to be able at some point to really conceptualize projects that need people to do them outside of government, right? I, I mean, there's ton, there's tons of things that we can think of that require tons of capital investment, and maybe something like just getting people hyped up on it and getting a GoFundMe for it might be a better idea than hoping for government to do it for us. I mean, so I can I can totally respect that aspect of people wanting to contribute their own money for something that they feel strongly about. Now, as far as the inception of this GoFundMe, I mean, are people really even thinking about where what they're contributing to? So, this guy, this Kofage guy, he uh, he used to run a couple of fake news websites on facebook a couple of pages and let me just read my favorite title that his fake news site propagated it was called freedom daily and the best title he had on there colin kaepernick just released his own bill of rights and is forcing everyone in america to follow it man what (laughs) i mean it, it maybe it's worth looking at colin kaepernick's bill of rights i mean no that's a, that's a subject for another day. Either way, I mean, what is he doing, right? What is Colin Kaepernick doing to force people to follow his own Bill of Rights? Like, it, it, I never got the memo. Yeah, I never got the memo. I didn't get the email. I maybe I'm just not someone that he wants to follow his Bill of Rights. I, no, I feel every, left he's out. forcing everyone in America to follow his Bill of Rights. Right, according to Brian Colfage, Colin Kaepernick is forcing me to follow his Bill of Rights. So is this the guy that I'm entrusting? Yeah, would you would you really entrust your money to this guy? Apparently so. And 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 here's the, here's the sort of the the comedy behind this, if there is some comedy. Um, oh, there is. Oh well, yeah. There, I guess there's tons of comedy. Um, so the law, presumably, to to the best of my reading, is that any donations given to the government. Uh, you know, monetary donations of this type have to be used first towards paying down the deficit or the debt. Um, and I think what happened, is, is the best of my reading, is that the GoFundMe creators realized this at the 11th hour, right as the the debate has heated up on the hill before we decided that we were going to shut it down. And so they introduced some slapdash bill together to basically amend the procedures so that they could even accept the donation. Just think about this, right? Just think about how people dive, they're just diving head first into donating, you know, substantial sums of money into a phantom project. Okay, because because that, to me, you know, let's let's just go back. Let's step way, way back, okay? So... Let's let's think about do we even need the wall to begin with? You know, presumably Donald Trump won an election on it, right? I mean, it's fair to say that if you voted for Donald Trump, you voted for him assuming border hoping security. wishing for border security. Which is it's a fair desire. You know, it's, a, it, it's it's right. It is a fair desire. And you know, as Americans the one thing that I that I hope we get to the point of is 
because I, I feel us moving further away from this in that you know we we bring up issues and then we hype up issues and uh things get so hyped up that the only way to respond to them is to really feel like we have to subvert the will of other masses of people right i, th I guess that's polarization in action and I, I really detest the way that that's going um so let's just think critically about this right you know is a concrete barrier or steel slats barrier as it's become along the southern border along the walls you know along the border with mexico with no habitational no provisions, utility. no utility. You know, someone mentioned solar panels. You know, let's see if it. I mentioned a wall of condos. How about that? Yeah, how about a wall of condos, right? The point is, is, is a wall of in its current inception, its current state, its current perceived projection of what it could be with a $40 billion price tag, is that a proportional response to the immigration menace that we've determined, that, you know, part of our society has determined exists? I would like to point out that the caravan did not come here in time to vote in the midterms. Yeah, caravan didn't arrive in time to elect Democrats. That's unfortunate right I mean, <laughs> that we were so, get here fast enough. right they didn't get here fast enough um you know immigration illegal immigration is certainly a topic that deserves the discussion i'm glad well i don't know if i'm glad that we're talking about it right i feel like there are other topics that should supersede this in the mainstream of public discourse and we've got some major challenges that require a little bit more of our political energy than perhaps illegal immigration is taking up. But, you know, do we build a wall? Is this, is that going to solve it? the second that we have a, a crime committed by someone here illegally once the wall is built? Does that just negate and make a $40 billion wall worthless, right? I mean, presumably, if we're going to spend $40 billion on a wall, that wall damn, be damn well better just prevent any crime, <laughs> any crime <laughs> ever, right? It's, uh, to me, I, I just think this back, square it all the way down, and it just seems, seems like just such an unproportional response to a really ill-defined problem. And... The, the thing about the wall in and of itself is that we've not even begun the process of having the real estate development project of it. I mean, anyone who's ever followed a development project from its inception to completion, you know there's going to be cost overruns. I mean, we've not even started to think about the issues of imminent domain along the border what are the impacts going to be for the local economies for some of these border towns that have to do trade with you know with mexico um what are going to be the environmental impacts right presumably there's migration patterns we have to think about and some of these animals that are just accustomed to 
you know, the way that they migrate and a concrete barrier may screw some of that up and to what to what end, right? However, if it were a wall of condos, it would generate income. Yeah, I mean, if it were a wall of condos or a wall of solar panels, we might be having a different discussion. So here's what our current uh, Republican Senator Bob Porker has to say about this. He thinks that the government shutdown is a made-up fight. It's just about Trump trying to score political points. And he said this is a purposely contrived fight. At the end of the day, no matter who wins, our borders are still going to be insecure. You know why we really love Bob Corker? I would bet that 95% of the people on this side of the aisle support intellectually this amendment. I would bet that. I would bet higher than 95%. And a lot of them would vote for it if it came to vote. But no, no, no. Gosh, we, we might poke the bear. It's a language I've been hearing in the hallways. We, we might poke the bear. The president might get upset with us as United States senators if we vote on the Corker Amendment. So we're going to do everything we can to block it. To block it. If people don't like it, they can vote up or down. People can vote up or down, but no. The United States Senate right now on June the 12th is becoming a body where, well, we'll do what we can do, but my gosh, if the president gets upset with us, then we might not be in the majority. And so let's don't do anything. Yeah, I mean, Corker at the very least gave the... uh perception that he was willing to qu- question Trump on these sorts of things and uh with Marsha Blackburn in the Senate there there certainly won't be any pushback for on her end at the very least uh which leads us to where we are now with the the shutdown and uh we're just Trump is demanding the wall or just some minimal payment for the wall uh 5 billion dollars I think was his last ask for steel slats so you know we went from Mexico paying for the wall to us paying for the wall. Or Brian Colfage paying for the wall. To Brian Colfage realizing that, hell, the government's not going to pay for the wall. I guess we Americans need to pitch it in and pay for the wall our damn selves. And, uh, or Colin Kaepernick will force us all to follow his own Bill of Rights. Right. I mean, if we don't get the wall, Colin Kaepernick's going to be having us kneeling. <laughs> so, yeah, there's dire times, right? Uh, but also seems to not even really be the same kind of wall that it was in the beginning. And now it's steel slats, which, you know, whatever. Steel slats. Um, we should move on to the economy. Yeah, so part of Trump's tirade now and just being really upset about this whole thing is that he's just taking it out on everyone. I mean, the the stock market seems to be taking a beating. And, uh, you know, part of this is, is probably cyclical. The stock market does tend to do, on average, worse during the, the winter months, the holiday seasons. Um, but what really troubles me is that he's talking about taking down the, uh, the, the chair of the Federal Reserve, right? I mean, that's if you want to send a stock market and an economy in general into free fall, Start playing around with the Federal Reserve, right? You will see problems that just unimaginable. I mean, we want the Federal Reserve to be as independent of his body 
and function with no regard to whether or not Donald Trump's temper tantrums will have Jerome Powell out of his seat come Monday morning. That's that's not how you inspire confidence and build a strong economy, okay? You know, there's this perception, and you always hear it, that it's either Trump's economy or Obama's economy or, you know, Reagan's economy, Bush's economy. And, you know, presidents have marginal impacts on economic performance, but the real player in the game is always the Federal Reserve. You know, you, you start tinkering with the, the stability of the Federal Reserve and you're going to send our country into a free fall that it, it's just really unimaginable. I mean, Trump is is just lashing out. He's he's desperate and he's he seems to be wanting to pin blame on a lot of different people. And uh, obviously we've got Jim Mattis out of out of his position and that's that's another signifier of where what is our foreign policy at this point um seems to be that we've ceded and lost afghanistan i mean all intents and purposes we there's nothing that we can do to even identify some degree of success in afghanistan at this point and uh, as far as syria goes I I thought once all of the, once you know going back to 2016 even 2015 you know the announcement of the Trump candidacy and once all of this started coming out about how close he may or may not be to Putin it was pretty obvious I, I think if you thought about it or just looked at the evidence that there was this was the inevitable outcome right that we were going to get out of Syria and a new axis is basically going to form there, a new axis of power. And uh, with Assad staying in, uh, Putin having his guy in Syria, basically what's going to happen is Russia is going to call the shots there. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing for us to really rationalize right now because if you think about it, you know, think all the way back to the war in Iraq, you know, the expanding Middle East conflicts, they all coincided with the end of basically the greatest periods of American economic resurgence, right? You, you can almost point to it and just say that as soon as we made this decision that we were going to become this military power abroad and uh, send all of our resources and the trillions of dollars on the war into the Middle East, that America became less nimble, you know, our economy became less nimble to deal with the changes of, you know, what globalization might entail and those sorts of things. And the more that we're involved and the, the further on our wars in the Middle East go and the, the resources that come with that sort of military mindset the less likely it is that the budgets you know our, our government budgets can handle undertaking just massive you know imaginative programs that you know spurred on some of the the great developments in the past so you know it, it's 
it's a double-edged sword, right? You know, on the face of things, if you had said America's going to be out of Syria, going to start drawing down troops in Afghanistan, basically just lessening our footprint abroad, that w- that's that's a winning proposition to most most anyone, right? I think I think America had at some point we were we agreed that we were tired and we were tired of seeing people dying overseas and you know just the the war that seemed to have no um concrete endpoint <laughs> so for Trump to pull out of Syria and Afghanistan it it's it's just such a a sore subject because of the way he's doing it 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 almost seems like you know just the reimagining of it feels like there's a the worst possible way that we could be doing it uh and so i think that's enough politics for today right do you agree kelly what do you think i definitely agree i'm exhausted yeah it's exhausting to just go through i mean this is literally two days of politics that we just covered and i'm exhausted i mean like so much happened to cover the whole year yeah we just covered two days and i feel like it was such a weighty conversation so i think we're gonna we're gonna lighten things up a bit now right to finish off the our first podcast i mean we made it we we've pretty much made it at this point Yay! we made it all right so we have one final segment it's gonna be a running segment throughout our podcast i don't know if we're gonna do it every single time but it's gonna be recurring for sure and it's a it's a game that me and patrick have been playing for a few years and we call it how much can i pay you to stop Ooh, okay i love this yeah so this is the concept behind this is it's an anti-charity right it's like how much if you were a billionaire and you could pay people to stop doing annoying things what would what would your causes be how much would you pay people to stop doing annoying things and what would those things be Kelly, what is your what is your anti-charity for the year? Honestly, I'm not especially mad at anything right now, so I'm I'm not the right person to ask, but I know you are. Hmm. Well, <laughs> this one's going to anger <laughs> quite on, a few people. This, this is the top of your list. Oh my god. So this is going to anger almost everyone. I think this is a bipartisan uh equal opportunity yeah this is an equal opportunity offender here and but uh my anti-charity i want to pay chick-fil-a to stop existing yeah i know i said it um in memphis we have a busy stretch of road here called poplar avenue um and on poplar avenue there's at least one chick-fil-a that's the main offender here and i see people you know lunchtime just to describe poplar avenue it's basically a driveway that people decided could be a four-lane road i don't know how or a six-lane road whatever pretty accurate yeah and to make things worse each of the right lanes uh you know each of the the rightmost lanes has just a battlefield of potholes in it uh so you can't really use them um that's why we need the pothole crew yeah we need the pothole crew simply for poplar avenue 
Um, but you know, any lunch hour, you're going to run into just the maddest display of human. Just it's it's indescribable how silly this is. But people will make turns from just three lanes over against just the most congested small road you can imagine to try to get in and cram into this line to get into this Chick-fil-A, and it's maddening. And it backs up traffic for miles. It backs up traffic just so people can have subpar fried chicken. People, it's Memphis, okay? We, we've got some of the greatest fried chicken on earth. There's here. a Gus across the street. There's a Gus's chicken across the street. There's a Popeye's right down the road. Even the Whole Foods has better fried chicken than Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry, I'm saying it, it's true. Chick-fil-A sucks. It needs to stop existing. And it needs to stop driving such a mad crowd during lunch hour. So that's my anti-charity. I know Chick-fil-A is quite well off, so it would require quite a few billions. But I'm thinking about starting my own Kickstarter now to build a wall around (laughs) Chick-fil-A. All right, feel free to leave a comment uh, on our Facebook or whatever about what you would choose to stop. Yeah, I want to hear some some other people's anti-charities. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Going forward, you know, we, we've got a couple of things planned. The next episode in a couple weeks, two weeks from now, we're actually going to start our book club discussion. Um, no, that's the February one. Is that the February yeah, one? Yeah, February we're going to start our book club. We start reading the book at the beginning of January. Okay, so perfect. So anyone listening who wants to come to, to tag along, you know, leave some comments, leave your own impressions. The book we're going to be reading is The Fifth Risk by Michael Lewis. And Kelly, do you have a description of that book? Yeah, I've got the book right here. Michael Lewis's brilliant narrative takes us into the engine rooms of a government under attack by its own leaders. That's it? Well, there's a lot more to it than that, but you'll just have to find out for yourself. Okay, well, we're going into we're going to see the underworkings of a chaotic White House. Um, Michael Lewis, you may know him from the the Big Short or Moneyball. Um, he, I, I've read a review that said that I would read Michael Lewis give a 400 page history of the Stapler. So pretty good, pretty good review. Um, pretty good accolades for him he's a very good writer um and you know going forward we hopefully or it isn't just going to be us two right we we would love to get some contributions in from other people who listen or just expertise we'd like to defer to experts on matters that we're not experts on um and just discuss current events you know it's it's up to us to have the conversations right Uh, us meaning you individually us hosting the show but just you know think about things and not just accept what's being presented at you from the media and just sort of dive in and see where you stand where you come down on each of the issues that you're confronted with on a day-to-day not just accept things for the status quo uh this will probably be well it's certainly going to be the our our only episode before the end of the year so you know, with the beginning of the year, with the end of the year, it's customary for people to, to come up with resolutions or, you know, really reflect on things that they'd like to do to improve their lives or, you know, make those small changes. And I just want to say that you can do it. I, I just want to leave anyone listening 
If there's something that you've been planning to do, just go out and do it. Just dive head first into it and uh, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid, as the quote says. And I would like to end with an Arnold Schwarzenegger quote. For me, life is continuously being hungry. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. Perfect. So just thinking ahead and what we've got in store for our next show, uh, by the time we record, the new Congress will be seated. We're going to dive into a little bit as to some of the policies that we might expect to see a new Congress undertake, some new bills or legislation that they might pass. Um, but also, real interesting thing for you to think about, uh, a lot's been made this past midterm about the success of women and minority candidates, but there's one minority in America that still remains completely unrepresented. I want you to think about that. It's not, this isn't a trick question, this is a you know, class of Americans as defined by, you know, what the protected classes of Americans are. And we belong to that class. And we belong to that class. And we remain with only one in the entirety of Congress, as far as I have my last count. Uh, so just think about that. Uh, we will see you in two weeks. And try to make a guess as to what that, that protected class is. Yeah, if you have any guesses... Don't spoil it, but, you know, make a guess. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. That's cheating. All right. We'll see you in two weeks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. They all stand here, and no hissing allowed. What is America to me? A name, a map, or a flag I see, a certain word. Democracy What is America to me? A house I live in A plot of earth A street The grocer and the butcher And the people that I meet the children in the playground, the faces that I see, all races and religions, that's America to me. The place I work in, the worker at my side, little town or city where my people lived and died, the howdy and the handshake.